The statistics are grim. One in five working moms say they've been passed over for an important assignment or for a promotion because they have children. And women who take even one year off to have kids come back to earn 40% less than their peers. Working moms outpace, outperform, and outwork their peers. So why don't companies make an effort to support working moms? And how can working moms advocate for themselves in the workplace and in their careers? Frankly, we're tired of asking for a seat at the table. It's time to make our own table, and we're going to talk about how. I'm Zabine Mirza, and this is Moms at Work. Friends and fans, welcome to another episode of Moms at Work. This is the official Jobs.Mom podcast. I'm your host, Zabine Mirza, and we've got a British accent on the episode today. Uh, Dialing in from across the pond, we have Alia Ali Afzal, author of the upcoming book, Would I Lie to You? And Alia is going to be spending um, a time with us today graciously talking about her book, the inspiration, and some really important themes that I think are um, as critical as ever to the women, mothers, and, and all of you that are listening, especially as we start to figure out what we're going to be doing with ourselves career-wise, personally, um, as we emerge from this pandemic. So Alia, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Sabine. I'm delighted to be here. It's really exciting to speak to you. Oh, well, it's exciting for us. You know, when we have a British accent on the episode, I feel like it immediately (laughs) elevates the sophistication level. uh, And I love the American accent because, (laughs) you know, I just love being in America. I love going to New York. I go maybe twice a year before all this happened. Um, So it's one of my favorite places. And so speaking to you is just reminding me of all my lovely times in America. Oh, fantastic. Well, you know what? We're going to be bridging the gap across the pond today when we talk about um, some of these things and and some of these themes that you're going to be um, explaining a little bit more about from your book. So this upcoming book, it's releasing July 8th. It's your first book. um, So congratulations uh, on that. That in itself is is, uh, like birthing another child. Uh, (laughs) Totally. (laughs) uh, But so would I lie to you? What is the book about? So this book is about a woman called Faiza, and she's a a mother, she's in her mid-40s, and she has secretly spent her family's emergency savings fund. And she's, you know, she's been dipping into money a little bit here and there, not really keeping track of how much she's spending. And she always has the intention to go back and put the money back once her children are older and she's gone back to work. And then one day, very unexpectedly, her husband, Tom, loses his job. And suddenly, this is the money that they need to rely on. And she has to replace this money very quickly before he discovers the truth. And overnight, you know, everything in her life is suddenly at risk. And she has this huge secret that she can't tell anyone. And she doesn't know if she can fix things. Wow. Um, Now, I feel like that's something that many of us can relate to that are in relationships and marriages and partnerships that we've kind of done something with not bad intentions, but we we've done something and now we're kind of like, Oh shoot. You know, it's, it's uh, the piper. We have to pay the piper. Right. So. Um, Absolutely. 
so so before we talk about the plot and some of the interesting um, things about this character, what was your inspiration for for writing this? How did you come up with this story? Why this story? Why Faiza? Why money? Why Tom? What was your inspiration? You know, I'm really fascinated by the whole topic of money uh, because I feel like it's like the last taboo. Because in this, you know, these days we will talk about anything, like our most intimate experiences are put on Instagram or, you know, we have reality TV, you know, sex, relationships, absolutely anything we are open about. But we never want to talk about money. And this really fascinated me because money affects so much of our lives. And yet, you know, I don't know if we're ashamed to talk about it or even sometimes we don't want to talk about it even to ourselves because it's such a big issue. It impacts so much of our lives. Um, so that really was the kind of initial spark. And I think I knew that people were having issues that they hid from people because, you know, my job, I worked for many years as uh, an executive MBA career coach. And I worked with a lot of investment bankers and people in big corporates. And because of my job, um, you know, once we'd gone through the mechanics of finding a new job or finding a new career, perhaps, people would then open up, um, you know, if they'd been through a bad experience of job loss, perhaps, about the impact of losing a job, the emotional impact. And often it drilled down to sort of the money aspect. So I knew that people had these issues, of course, and no one talked about it. I'm also the friend in the group that everyone tells their secrets to. So you know, it's happened to me countless times that I will meet a friend, somebody will pull me aside before we go into a dinner or to meet another bunch of friends and say, I'm having this terrible problem. My husband's lost his job or I'm really worried about money, uh, but don't tell anyone else. And then they go in and they put on their game face, they're smiling and no one really knows these things. So this was the initial kind of idea of this huge kind of secret that in a way we all carry on some level. Um, and even with, you know, with your family, with your best friends, with your siblings, you can know so many things about them, but do we know how much they earn? Do we know what their credit card debt is? Do we know how much they have in savings? So, so this whole money thing really attracted me. And then on a personal level, you know, my experience with my, in my relationship with my husband, we are completely opposite in our approach to money which has its own interesting, you know, <laughs> ramifications. So I am the spender, I will admit it, and he's the saver. So I, and this hasn't changed over many, many years of marriage. And so I am always the one, you know, who's saying, oh my gosh, we must go on this holiday before, you know, we'll put it on a card. Let's do it before we get too old to enjoy these things. And he is always the one saying, yes, but you know, if we live to be 80, what are we going to live on? And, and so we have these really opposite views and it does cause conflict. And that was kind of the other, you know, inspiration, really. I started to think about putting all these things together. That's incredible. And, you know, we had uh, we had Erin Hoffman uh, on the show a few weeks ago, and, and she is a financial expert and she works with women and she is mm -hmm. on, on jobs.mom. She's our finance contributor. And one of the things that we talk about all the time is financial independence and mm -hmm. financial literacy and how women more often than not don't have that 
financial literacy or financial education. And so they don't have the ability um, to make good financial decisions for themselves. Mm -hmm. And and, um, they don't know what to do with their money. And uh, oftentimes they are uh, beholden to partners or spouses or family for financial support, especially in situations like job loss or yeah. um, divorce or, mm-hmm. you know, a uh, death or some kind of yeah. status change. And women are the ones that um, kind of get shafted more in that sense because, um, you know, traditionally it's not something that women have really invested, you know, so to speak, the time yeah. or focused on on knowing. And that has to change. And, and there is a really interesting theme here because your main character, Faiza, um, who uh, is um, South Asian, right? Mm-hmm. She's a South Asian yeah. Muslim, um, mid-40s, stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. And in South Asian culture, it's also extremely patriarchal. Even if you have a two-income household, it's mm-hmm. still the men that yeah. traditionally handle, you know, the the finances the finances of the family, and even you have a say, and they try to include you. You'll just say mm-hmm. whatever you figure it out. But um, talk a little bit uh, first about Faiza as a South Asian character. It's quite groundbreaking. Um, she's a Muslim character, um, but she's not a stereotype. She's not a stereotype brown Muslim woman. So talk a little bit about Faiza. So when I started to write this book, um, initially, you know, I was a little bit worried because I could see no such representations of South Asian women or characters in any of the books that I saw. And there seemed to be a very narrow kind of narrative. The books were wonderful because they were looking at things like identity and culture clash and kind of racism and very important topics and great literature. But that seemed to be a very narrow kind of point of view. And it didn't really cover my personal experience. And so I was writing about a woman who was brown, who was South Asian. But I wasn't writing about the fact that she was brown and South Asian. I was writing about a woman primarily who was spending too much money and lying about it, basically. you know. Um, And yet I wanted her to be brown because that's who she was. So it was a little bit of a a struggle, to be honest, at the beginning. I didn't know if I should write it, if I could write it, if it would be bought. And then, you know, I thought, this is crazy. Why aren't we reading these books? Why aren't these books out there? Why don't I see characters like this on TV, on Netflix? Because that is my experience as, you know, a South Asian British woman who has lived in London, in the UK, ever since I was a small child. It is the experience of my friends, practically everybody that I know, that you are living your life. Yes, you're South Asian, but that isn't what your everyday experience is about or your focus. Yeah. So I decided to go first. So Faiza is, you know, she was uh, very well educated. Um, You know, she used to work in finance before she took some time out, took a career break to bring up her children. And she's a smart woman. independent, funny, uh, great relationships with her family. She's in an interracial marriage with Tom, who's white, white British, and yet nobody makes a big deal of it. Her parents accept Tom, the community accepts Tom, and that has been my experience. It's been the experience of in my family, of my friends. So really, I was really just writing the reality that I know 
Um, and also, you know, I never saw women, you know, my sister is an anesthetist, my other sister's an architect, my friends are law professors, they're surgeons, they're entrepreneurs. And yet every South Asian British woman that I see in literature and on TV has a very specific kind of role. Either they are the meek housewife stuck at home or they're working in some kind of low-level job. So really, I wanted to write Visa, which is a reality that I know, that I've experienced, and yet I didn't see anywhere. And I love that so much because, you know, I'm a South Asian American woman Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing. And, and, you know, when we talk about, and and you hear this all the time about representation matters, right? Mm -hmm. Representation really does matter. Uh, And it's not just, you know, people will say, oh, you know, this has become so politicized. Why does it matter? Because if you can't relate to things and if your children can't relate to things and, you know, you, your community, your ethnicity, your nationality, Mm -hmm. your race is not represented appropriately to the world, people can't relate to that. People can't learn uh, the right ways. All they're learning are the stereotypes that South Asian women uh, are meek, submissive housewives. South Asian cultures are X and Y. South Asian communities are A and B. And you are harming yourself, right? Yes. Um, By perpetuating these kinds of stereotypes. And you know, it's just, it's so wonderful because, you know, the media and the news, of course, and, you know, all you see about South Asian people and all you see about Muslim people, especially, are, you know, things, unfortunately, about terrorism and things about (laughs) oppression and things about war. But, you know, we are regular everyday people living regular everyday lives telling regular everyday lies like Pfizer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it is our identity, but it's not all who we are, right? It's, it's yeah. we have so many layers. And so I am so appreciative of that because so glad. that is the reality, right? That we are so many generations beyond, yeah. you know, that immigrant stereotype. And we have assimilated for generations into British society, into mm-hmm. American society, into societies all around the world where, where our listeners are. Um, and yet the stereotypes still focus on um, that one thing. So representation does matter. Now, the other, the, the other thing that I absolutely love, Alia, um, you know, and, and we're talking about this is that we feel and live and, and experience the world just the same as everybody else with, you know, some of the added layers of marginalization that we experience. But, you know, when you talk about Faiza's, uh, you know, emotional, emotionally navigating things like finding a job, right? Dealing with her husband losing a job. Mm -hmm. These are things that I think all women, all mothers, right? That are listening, that are not listening, that are out in the world that we know, We've experienced this, especially in the pandemic, right? Yeah. We've lost jobs ourselves. We have dealt with spouses, partners, family members, friends that have lost jobs, that uncertainty of what do we do. Um, and your character, Faiza, um, I'm assuming now that Tom has lost his job, has to get back to work, right? 
Yeah. Um, so, so she has to try. She's going to try. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about what that's like, especially for Faiza, a brown woman, a British woman, but somebody that's been out of the workplace. She's in her 40s and she has no idea what, what to start. What is she going through? Well, um, absolutely. But I think before I do that, I just wanted to say, you know, the in terms of representation, the response to this book has been incredible. And it has been across the board. So the audience has been a lot of white British people. It's been American audiences. It hasn't just been a South Asian audience. And people are connecting to this experience. And for me, that's really important as well, because I don't think representation is only important for, say, South Asian people. Um, it's important for us as a society, you know, to recognize that we all share these common universal issues Um, and challenges in life. And yet I didn't want to kind of whitewash Spiza because she can have her uh, dual kind of culture while still having this universal experience. So I'm really so thrilled. So, you know, for example, Sophie Kinsella gave me a wonderful quote. Uh, she reviewed it. She loved it. And there have been many, many wonderful authors that I admire, all white, who really enjoyed the book and uh, book bloggers. So I'm really happy about that, you know, going back to that. Um, so I'm, I, I feel like it's an important step, not just for writers, but just for us, all of us. Um, and so Faiza, my dear Faiza, so Faiza's had been on a career break for 15 years. And I think she's trying all kinds of things. You know, she'll, she'll do anything. She's desperate. So she's trying to find, you know, jobs, um, you know, anywhere, admin jobs, jobs in a shop, um, finding it very hard to really go back to finance after all this time. And wherever she goes, so, so one of the places she goes is sort of for an admin job. And there's a 26-year-old recruitment consultant who interviews her and says, you have no skills that we can use. <laughs> you know, so there is this thing of this, you know, uh, there's ageism as well. You know, there's ageism that we encounter when we reach our 40s and we haven't been working for a while. And as a career coach, I work with a lot of women who are sort of returning. And how we tackle that. And from my own experience, because I was on a career break, actually, um, for a long time, for 10 years. And I went back to work at London Business School. Um, actually, before that, I went back to work as a headhunter in the city, uh, which is the financial district in London, recruiting for investment banks. And I remember um, somebody saying to me, you know, you're coming back after such a long time. And I basically said, listen, um, being a mother is, you know, it's like being a soldier or something. I work 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. I have no holiday. I have no bonuses. I have no lunch break. I have no weekends. I often don't sleep and I keep going. And frankly, it'll be a rest for me to come to your office and sit there. <laughs> and the guy looked at me and I was just, by then, Zabine, I was so fed up with these people just, you know, denigrating the skill sets that you do acquire as a mother. Uh, because I feel like they are transferable skills. And I think, you know, one should be able to do that. And I think our Pfizer tries her best to do that. And I'm not, I, this is a spoiler free interview because the book is not out for a few days. And um, so I don't want to go into what she does, but these are the kind of things that she encounters. And you know what? This is just so real, Alia, right? This is just such a real experience because yeah. women 
you know, whether it's because they have to or because they want to, they try to get back into the workplace. And we see it now, even in the pandemic, right? You're talking about 10 years, even women that are out of the workforce for one year, the, the deck is stacked against them. You know, women that have not taken any breaks have to face so many biases in, in, in equities and in disparate pay, disparate pay in the workplace. And um, okay. it's, it's, it's already so hard and you take a break and it's, it's even worse. So yeah. there are so many women that are listening to you, Alia, yeah. that are going to read about FISA and they're going to absolutely <laughs> love it. And, and, but they're experiencing this, they're going interviews and people are saying, you know, you've been away for X amount of time, you know, why should we hire you? And when they say to you, you have no skills that we could use. I mean, they said it to you. What should they say, uh, Alia? What should they say? How should they approach it? So, you know, I, when I went back, uh, first of all, I was put off because I wanted to go to a very elite headhunting firm doing investment banking recruitment. And I was told again and again by recruitment consultants, you know, you're never going to get that. Go and do something, you know, some admin. Why don't you do some admin recruitment near where you live? You can spend more time with your children. These were the responses that I got. And again and again, I would be put off. And I think my advice would be, first of all, you know, I always advise, choose your companies well, target your companies well, do not do a scattergun approach, find companies that are committed to supporting women, that are committed to women returners, uh, and to kind of flexible working, and they have this, you know, this kind of approach, let's say, so choose your target companies well. Um, and then, you know, what, what did I do? I didn't give up. I didn't get it disheartened. It's really hot, easy to get disheartened when you've been out of work. You have low confidence. People are saying these things to you. You cannot get disheartened, however hard it is. Even if inside you feel like that, I feel like you need to persevere. Um, and then, you know, I tried to convince people. I would say, try me. Try me. Give me a two-week trial. Uh, Where I did finally get hired, I had seven interviews. The final one with the MD, most people have two interviews for that role. It wasn't a very senior role or an amazing, you know. Um, And then they did say to me, well, you know, we've never hired somebody over 30. We've never hired a mother before, but we're going to try you. And then, you know, isn't it it incredible, Alia, that they can just so unashamedly even say those things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the things have been, they asked me in interviews, they'd ask me, who's going to look after your children? I mean, they're not allowed to ask things like that. Of course not. And they don't ask your husband. They don't ask the men. They only ask women. And you're so kind of desperate at that point, you don't even challenge them. And so it's not, you know, it's a difficult experience. But, you know, I didn't give up. And I would say, persevere. You may need to take something that's a little bit of a compromise to start with, but keep your aiming, keep networking, keep your eye on the ball and don't let people put you off. And, you know, I've had many experiences like that. So when I was writing this book, you know, again, it's so the odds are so small to become published. You know, my agent that I signed up with gets 6,000 submissions a year and signs 10 authors. Okay, so... If I thought about it, I would just, you know, how, right. how is that ever possible? So I'm, I'm a real believer in trying, but also, yes. you know, 
upping your skill set, finding the connection between you and the company. So the company actually that I that hired me, I actually, you know, knew some of the companies that they'd work with, I'd worked with them in the past, some of their clients. So if you can bring something to the table, some kind of geographic experience or industry experience or something that connects you to them or languages, whatever. I love something that. Something you can offer them. I love that. That's amazing. And you know what? That's so important. And you know, there's been a real push and we see it where um, I think LinkedIn started doing this as well, where women that have been mothers and out of the workplace, there's now an opportunity to put mother or parent as as your job title. So, oh, okay. And it's what you mentioned, right? Um, you know, when you look at the statistics, it's exactly what you said. You know, I have no breaks, no holidays. There is no reward. There is no bonus. I'm not being compensated. I'm dealing with three children that I need to keep alive. I need to feed. I need to drive. I need to multitask. I need to, I need to conflict uh, uh, manage. I need to, you know, handle crises. I mean, everything that you need to be successful in the workplace, you are doing, but we need to be, we, we need to be better at really drawing those parallels and saying exactly as you did, Hey, this is what I've been doing. This is what I'm good at. This is what value I can bring to your company. I'll work yeah. harder. I'll work faster. I'll work more effectively. I'll work more efficiently. I'm a better communicator. I'm a better listener. And when you look at the statistics, Alia, I mean, it's a universal statistic that women, mm-hmm. especially mothers, and I say this all the time, they mm-hmm. outperform their peers especially the childless peers, right? They outperform across everything. They're better managers, better account managers, better salespeople, better listeners, better workers. Um, They're more empathetic. Their performance is better. But yet companies don't invest in them and don't value them as much. They pay them less because of these ill-conceived notions about women that are mothers are just not committed, right? They're not able. No. They're, 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 they need too much flexibility. But, you know, the pandemic, Alia, has proven, yes. proven yeah. that those yeah. arguments are bogus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because everybody's, guess what? Everyone's been doing it all and from home and managing really well. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah. And, that, and that's why I love what you guys are doing, Sabine. I love what you're doing. It's such a brilliant initiative because I think, these changes do need to come. And I think it's not just the employers who don't value it. I think as a society, we do not value mothers. And I remember, you know, people being so impressed with me when I started, when I went back to work and had a job and everybody, even other women and family members, everybody would suddenly sit up and notice. And I said, and I felt, you know, I really don't think I'm doing anything more impressive than what I have been doing for the last 10 years. Uh, and yet uh, people view you differently. And so I think, you know, articulating these transferable skills um, and explaining this, I think we have to keep going. And I think people are treated, you know, they don't value. I remember going and doing an exercise once I was job searching and um, it was an exercise with four other people and there was a panel and they put out, gave us hypothetical situations. Afterwards, the recruitment consultant called and said they thought you were brilliant They thought you were really good, great leadership qualities, analytical thinking, but they feel that with your children, perhaps, you know, you wouldn't be able to really, they work really long hours. And of course, as if, you know, I didn't know about the long hours when I put myself forward for it, 
but I would say, you know, it's a struggle. We're, we're, we're getting there. We're making strides. You know, in the end, I did get the jobs. I did get a job. Um, I did do really well. Um, so I think do not get disheartened. I think my message is and support each other. Women should support each other. That's what we need to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's very easy to get disheartened and it's easy to get taken aback when you're, when you're being blamed for having kids, really, you're being punished, (laughs) you know, and and this is a sickness in our society that from the time girls are small, we put in their head that they must get married, they must have kids, and then they have children, and then you punish them for it in the workplace, right? You punish them for it, for having a family. And, you know, um, when when people say Zabine, you know, these people have asked me these horrible questions in interviews. They've asked me, do you have children? Yeah. What am I supposed to do? And I always say, um, I always say that the nice, comfortable way to respond to that is, is mm-hmm. to say, I don't think that's relevant to this job, right? I don't I like think that's that. relevant to this job. I'd like to talk about what I bring to the table. And I'd like to talk about how I add value to this position. And it is A, B, and C. And don't even get into it. Don't yeah, even. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. yeah. I, I'd like to talk about things that are relevant to this role. And then bring it back to, you know, in my last experience, I did one, two, and three. And don't even give it face because it is, it has no bearing. How many children you have has no bearing <laughs> Can you on your a man ability. being asked that? A man Never. Being asked that. Never, never, ever, ever. And, you know, you can't ever win no matter how you answer that question. Because if you are older and you say no, they think something's wrong with you. If you are younger, (laughs) right, they think, well, if she doesn't have kids, it means she's going to and we're going to pay maternity leave. If she does have kids, that means she's going to need to leave early, come late, do this. You can never win. Can't win with that. And I think also, Zabine, there's ramifications because in the book, you know, uh, Faiza is a stay-at-home mother and the money issues were never a problem when she was working as well. Uh, Because in a way, you know, a lot of couples run their own finances. They have the joint thing, but, you know, there's plenty of money and there's nothing to worry about. And it's when circumstances change. So either you become a stay-at-home mother or like we said, somebody loses their job. And a lot of her friends also, they, they call them the yummy mummies here, you know, the glamorous mothers right. <laughs> who look wonderful, spend a lot of time looking after themselves, having their Botox and getting their blow dries. And, and that itself is a pressure as well, because that's the corporate wife kind of uh, pressure. So a lot of these women are stay-at-home mothers that we see in the book. And when I was writing this, you know, um, you know, I love the classics as well, the classic literature like Jane Austen. And it struck me that in 2021, in the UK, a lot of these very well-educated women are defined by their husband's jobs. Their houses are dependent on their husband's jobs. Their agency is missing. And it just struck me that, why is this? You know, this is such a horrible way. And I think, you know, some, of course, it's a matter of choice. And some of them have chosen to be home, which I absolutely respect. I did that myself. But some of them have been driven out of the job market because it does not support this kind of holistic life that people have. And um, and so that leaves them really vulnerable in a way. And a lot of the women that we meet, you know, we may actually mock these women about all their 
you know, trying to stay beautiful and trying to look young. But I don't really blame them because at that age, they're vulnerable. Their husbands are at the peak of their careers. They are worried that they may be replaced by some young trophy wife. And they're in a really vulnerable position. So it's almost like their looks become their only currency. You know, their children are older. And so it leads, there's, you know, the, the job thing leads to many, many ramifications in every area in our lives. That's so true. And you know what? I will tell you, I was never, a, what did you call it? A yummy mummy? Yummy mummy. A yummy, yeah. <laughs> that was never me. I, you know, it's, I am the, whatever the opposite is of that is what I am. You know, I leave the house and, and you know, at this point I'm, I'm completely unapologetic. We're in a pandemic. Yeah. I have three young children. My youngest is 10 months old. I am going to leave the house looking you know, like a homeless person, like, and it's just yes. everybody, the, the world is going to have to deal with it. Right. Yep. And, um, I, I think, you know, what we as women have to do and, you know, what you said, it was so beautiful. We have to take, we have to develop our own agency, right. In mm -hmm. whatever way that we can and what agency looks for you will look different for me, for somebody else, but you have to own something for yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily a material thing, but it's something that you do for yourself that you have for yourself, because, you know, a lot of that outward veneer that women, you know, put on is really to mask these insecurities. Yep. Right. Yeah. These and, and there's no reason to be insecure, because even if you've been out of the workplace for 10 years, you've been raising children, you've been the CEO of your house. I mean, you have yeah. done things in the community, at the schools, as volunteers. I mean, there is a lot of things. We, we need to reframe the conversation, Alia, is what we need to do. I think so. And also, you know, in terms of, uh, even if, like you say, it doesn't have to be about work or, or money. So uh, I was brought up in a really feminist household. And I don't think my parents were aware of it. So in fact, they had a very traditional setup. My mother was a stay-at-home mother, although she was educated very highly. She's a very intelligent woman, but she chose to stay home, which, which is great. And then my dad was the breadwinner. But they always respected each other's roles. There was great respect for my, what my mother did. And, you know, my dad, if my mom was not well or she needed help, he would clean the house. He would cook the food. Um, and And there was no sort of... It was about helping each other and valuing each other. And, you know, I look at my, my husband and I are the same. Absolutely. There's never been, oh, this is a man's job. This is a woman's job, or this is less important because you're not bringing money in. And my three children, there was never anything. They all cook, they all clean, or actually they don't, they, none of them clean, but they could. Right. If they There's no thing that, you know, you're a man or a boy or a girl. And I think, you know, men in a relationships have a responsibility as well, not to view motherhood as less than. Yes. And, and it's, it's men that we need as allies in the workplace Absolutely. and in the world to yeah. really push that shift. Because if it's just women, right, yeah. it's just women, but this impacts the entire social structure because men, these are your kids that they're raising, right? And yes. these are your colleagues. And this is an entire talent base that you in your companies are missing out on because you are being discriminatory. Absolutely. And women are 
highly educated, highly experienced, but the fact is they've been pushed out because of the childcare crisis, because of unfair yeah. pay practices, because of inflexible work structures. And we've seen it in its greatest aggravation during the pandemic. Yes, isn't that unfortunate? It's just brought all the spotlight on it very clearly, hasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And so, Alia, before we wrap up, you know, before we leave, would I lie to you? Um, what is your parting advice uh, to the women that are listening? And, and what do you hope that they gain from reading this book? So, you know, uh, when I was researching for the book, I found out that uh, money worries are one of the biggest cause of relationship uh, breakups. Okay. And I also found, found some research done in America, actually, that couples will talk about, you know, will reach every milestone in a relationship. So being intimate, moving in together, meeting the in-laws, but they never talk about money. So, you know, this is like a big, big issue. And I think, you know, when you're dating, at what point you tell somebody if you've got credit card debt or something. So money, I would say, you know, one has to try and talk about it. We don't do it. And I tell you something really interesting that writing this book and write, talking about the plot of it with my husband, it's actually helped us to talk about money for the first time because it's a really difficult subject. I would talk about anything than talk about money, but we have been able to talk about it through this. And I hope that, you know, maybe other couples can use it. I don't know. It's a fun story. It's, you know, if you look at it, the book has best been described as sort of big little lies meets shopaholic. So kind of like a, a very tense ride. But I think that's the core message of it that, you know, what does it really mean to us? money and and how can we use it in kind of a healthy way in, in a healthy way in our relationships yeah and and perhaps it can also uh, and and not that it perhaps it will i think go a long way in pushing women to recognize and realize their own financial so. freedom uh yeah, and yeah, independence Wonderful. That so would be Alia, a good byproduct. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And so Alia Ali Afsal, author of the upcoming book, her first book, a very hearty congratulations, Would I Lie to You, will be available for sale. Once it's up, we will share the links. Alia, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. It was a delight. Lovely talking to you, Zabine. Oh, a wonderful conversation. And for those of you that want to follow along, we'll be sharing in the episode uh, description all of Alia's information. You can follow her on social media. We'll be sharing all the information about her upcoming book releasing July 8th, Would I Lie to You? Um, and for all of you listening, as always, wherever you are, as we embark on a post-pandemic or mostly post-pandemic summer Stay safe, stay well, stop telling lies, and take care of your money. Until next time, I'm Zabine Mirza. This was Moms at Work. Follow us on social media. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out more episodes at jobs.mom slash moms at work. I see some of you.